0: Alright, well welcome tonight to, uh, our midweek service, uh, in the book of James. Uh, hopefully you're all doing well. I'll take that as a no. Uh, <laughs> and we're well as can be expected, we'll put it that way. Um, but, uh, you know, praise the Lord, we get an opportunity tonight to just, uh, be in the word of God, to look at some things. And I really appreciate, um, you know, how, uh, the Lord just continues to show, uh, uh, us, how, how we need to be living our lives, um, uh, throughout scripture, just even, uh, you know, normal daily study things today. Uh, I, I'll just be a little transparent. I have a hard time just reading through the Bible without going off on like 500 bunny trails. And um it's, you know, I'll start thinking about one word and I'll start meditating on it. Um and the next thing, you know, as I'm, you know, kind of have a half-created study going and um it's uh it's just interesting to see all those things and how the Lord just continues to teach and continue to to demonstrate his love towards us. Um, and e- even while we, uh, uh, you know, kind of flounder about sometimes in this Christian life, it's just great to know that, that, uh, God has a plan for us and God has a purpose for us, uh, what we're supposed to do. And, um, I just wanted to to say that, you know, I'm just very thankful for that. So, Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer this uh evening and we'll get started in our lessons in chapter 4 of James. Dear heavenly Father, thank you again for the time that we have this uh evening to just uh to be into your word and uh, again Lord, uh I am very thankful for all that you have uh, shown to us uh, already in this book. Uh and uh Lord, as we get into a, the the heavy subject matter of uh uh, why conflict exists between um, uh, us, each other, and conflict with you, that, Lord, we would truly understand that uh it is our pride issue that we need to put away. It is uh, our own will. It is our own desires that need to be brought into check and make sure that they are aligning with what you desire and what your will is for our lives. Pray, Lord, that we would just take this time as we go through these verses this evening, um, that uh, Your Holy Spirit would uh, be uh, just uh, just show us and teach us, and that Lord, our hearts would be very receptive. Um, and the things that have happened uh, throughout the day, throughout the week, would just be set aside, and that uh, Lord, it would just be a desire this evening to just learn from You. And I pray all of this and ask it in Your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. James chapter four. We left off. Uh we got through uh verse uh one and two, and uh again to just kind of back up a little bit, we'll read those verses uh for that context. Um James writes it says From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war. Ye have yet ye have not because ye ask not. And we kind of left off at that point about the asking part. One of the great things uh, about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, being a saved, born-again child of God, is we have access uh, to the throne. Uh, the Bible talks about how we can boldly go uh to that throne, and we can pray, we can ask, we can give supplications, intercessions, um, all of those, if you will, synonyms that we use for prayer, um, and it's the Lord that hears them. And it's an amazing thing to stop and to really truly think about who it is we are praying to. When you just take a, just a moment to to think. I am praying to the God that created everything, that created the world I see around me, that created me, that created the stars in the sky, that created the sun at the exact right distance so we don't burn to a crisp or freeze like ice cubes. Uh, I mean, he, he's done all of these things in just perfect organization and perfect creation, And, and, you know, obviously we still have the curse that is on this earth because of sin, but still even with that curse, there is a very much a beauty in what we see and what God has created. And here we are, we get to go to Him and ask. And James points out, here is one of the biggest issues that people have is that they do not ask and when when a person does refuses to pray and does not pray about things they're truly if you will uh tying their hands behind their back trying to, to tr- trying to to build anything for Christ uh it, it's an impossible task it's an impossible thing to do um i i remember when i was very young i saw an individual that had uh lost both of the both of their arms, and uh you know the question was is how did he drive because he had a driver's license and I was like uh I, you know th- this is pretty impressive and and he he showed us uh, there was a, a few of us around he showed us how he would uh, open his car door with his feet and get in and and he'd drive around the steering wheel with his feet and he had the little brake pedals that he would push with his toes and an accelerator and I'm sitting there going that's pretty cool." And I'm sure nowadays they've got far better technology because that was way back in the 80s when I saw that. But uh, it was pretty impressive to see that. But at the same time, it took a long time to get to that point. There was a lot of hindrances. There was a lot of delays. There was a lot of, you know, difficulty in, in getting there. And sometimes we hinder our own spiritual growth because, as James says, we simply don't ask. We don't ask if it's the right thing. We don't ask if this is God's will. We don't ask him for wisdom. We don't ask in, in, in the way that he, he wants us to. And sometimes there is uh, this, this disconnect in our prayer life that really, truly hinders us. And we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school, pointing out that, you know, husbands, if they're bitter towards their wives, that's going to hinder their prayer life. It's going to cause a problem. Meaning that their prayer life is going to become more difficult, it's going to be a lot harder. there's going to be things that seem to, if you will, stop it from moving forward. And that's what sin really truly does is it it, it hinders our prayer life. It's this cascading effect. We don't pray, we enter into sin. We then try to pray, and it's hard to pray because we're in sin, and it's harder to get things done than what we need to do, and so on and so forth. People get frustrated, and they just kind of throw their hands up in the air and give up and just kind of move on. And I've used the analogy before of, uh, uh, of you know individuals that have uh, prayed for things, and they'll say, well, God just doesn't answer my prayer." And and if opportunity is afforded, I will ask and I say, look, I'm not trying to intrude because it is a prayer between you and God, but may I ask how you are praying? What is it you are asking for? And sometimes they will say, well, I'm going to pray that God does this. And like, say, uh, um, in a situation where there was an individual that was having problems with uh, um, uh, suicidal tendencies and harming Uh, basically said, uh, I, I, I'm praying that God would just come down and stop me. I'm like, let's try a different prayer. Let's try a different direction. Uh, because again, we have to understand the way that God operates and the way that God's going to operate is he's going to use his word to prevent us from those sinful things. I mean, that's what the Bible says, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. I mean, that is a, a, a verse that is very true. The more word of God that we have in there, the more Bible, the more we meditate, the more we read, the more we study, uh, the more we, uh, if you will, adore it and let it affect us, the more we are going to be less likely to sin and enter into a sinful pattern. So we have to use the word of God the way that God intended it to be used to keep us from those sins. And, you know, sometimes the people have the expectation that they're, that God's just going to come down with a big hand and as a person's, uh, uh, re, you know, reaching for something that God's just going to stop them right there. You know, here, if you got a problem again, I'll just not trying to make light out of it, but just use it as an example. You got a problem with an individual that's addicted to jelly beans, you know, uh, God's not going to come down with a big hand as you're reaching for that bowl, or excuse me, let me put it this way, as I'm reaching for that bowl and going for it, he's not going to come down with a hand and say, stop. He's not going to count out the 10 jelly beans that I'm allotted for the day and then give it to me and say, there you go, in a little cup and say, you don't get any more. There's things that God does that he uses his Holy Spirit and the word of God to instruct us, to teach us, to guide us, to direct us. But we have to be receptive to it and we have to ask the right way, which is exactly what he gets into in the next next verse, where in verse 3 he says, ye ask, there are those that do ask, and he says, and you receive not because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Now take a look at verse 4 and we'll go down to verse 5 and we'll stop there. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be afraid of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Spirit, the scripture saith in vain that the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? And this is something that he, you know, a bit of a rhetorical question. And we'll get to that question, you know, Lord willing, if we get to verse 5 tonight. But there is this idea and this concept of uh, that, that, that God is, is, is relating here specifically about a connection between lust and adultery. Now, we have to understand in Scripture, adultery does not always mean that physical act. It means spiritual adultery, and we'll see that in just a moment. Let's just take a look at verse 3 here where he says very clearly, he says, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. We're not asking the right way. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a formal way that God needs to be addressed and there's a form you have to fill out and check all these boxes and so on and so forth. But what he's saying is, is the reason that you're asking amiss or you're asking the wrong way or you're asking for something that you shouldn't be asking for is because of it's what you want and it's not what God wants. And therein lies the problem. Because he just talked about lust and he talks about the reason why fight and conflicts occur and why people are at each other's throats. And it's all because of this and that that they want and they desire. And whether it's fame, power, attention, money, uh, love, whatever it is that they're they're, they're seeking, they they just completely ask for it the wrong way. And it's just to, to heap upon themselves. And it feeds that animal of pride, if you will, in them. And as the Bible says, they come, become like beasts. They, they're they insatiable. Today I was trying to give uh, my my uh, little Jack Chi, uh, uh, you know, Rolo, a little treat. And I had something, and, you know, he sits there, and he just sits there, and he looks like he's never eaten anything ever before. And he's just got those puppy dog eyes, and he just looks at you, and he lets out the little mm, whine, and, you know, It's like, oh, you know, I'm so pathetic. Please, please, can I just have a little bit? And I started giving it to him, and he was being real nice, and then he just like snarked and got my finger. I was like, bad boy. You know, you don't do that. But what was he doing? It was a beast-like behavior. All he knew was food. He wanted the food. You know, animals don't think the same way that humans think. And God says that when we start using and operating things that, that if He will, cut God out, we get into, if He will, a beast-like mentality where we're operating off of instinct or something that is not spiritual. And we have to be careful with that. So here we are looking at this, these verses, and I want us to take a look over at Matthew chapter 21. Let's take a look at a couple of passages, and we'll start off with Matthew <clears throat> And in Matthew chapter 21, <clears throat> and we're gonna jump down there to verse 22. <clears throat> Let's back up here just a little bit in this uh in this uh um this account in verse 21 uh, and this is after um he's uh um you know uh withered this fig tree when he found nothing on it. In verse 21, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, these uh, disciples that saw the withered fig tree, Verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and thou shalt be cast into the sea, it shall be done. All these things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Now, now, Let's take that verse just for a moment and and just kind of think about it for what he's saying and realizing that there is a way to go about asking for things. Now, what he specifically says here is a very tall order. I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us have gone to the base of Mount St. Helens and said, I want you to move Even one foot this way or one foot that way, or I want you to go, you know, walk across land and go over into the Pacific Ocean and throw yourself in. None of us have done that. But God is saying these things could be possible. But a part of the issue is, is number one, faith. Number two is believing. Number three is having no doubt. We see a lot of things in here that are very, very descriptive about the way that God wants us to ask. And people will say, well, I've got faith. Let's really honestly ask ourselves, do we? If faith is, 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 is believing God at his word and obedient to it, do we always do that? And what would be the purpose of us moving Mount St. Helens to the Pacific Ocean? Would it be because it's what I want or would it be because it's what God wants? Therein lies some of the problems. So when we start talking about believing and we start talking about faith, it all has to do and go back to God, not us. There is the problem. Take a look over at John, John chapter 12, uh, 16, John chapter 16. <clears throat> now, there are some people that run around and uh, try to heal people. And then they say, well, that person didn't have faith to be healed and so on and so forth. And, well, that's just a cop out because what they're trying to do is all about them anyways. And it, it creates, you know. It creates a lot of uh, problems and it drives a lot of people away from, from Christianity because it's all about them. It's all about what they want. It's all about, uh, um, you know, uh, them. Uh, I had a op- opportunity one time to do a funeral for an individual, and there was a guy that came up during the kind of open mic session, which is always, man, it's a mixed bag, 50-50. Whether you do it at a wedding, whether you do it at a funeral, you never know what you're gonna get. And you just sit there on pins and needles just waiting, you know, and just like hoping you don't have to get up there and take the mic away from somebody because it, you know, gets bad or ugly. But I'll tell you this, uh, the, 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 that this gun guy, he got up there, he stands up there and he was talking about how he was trying to heal this man before he died. And it didn't work. And he, but he was talking about all these things about how he was uh, giving out these prayer scarfs that would heal people, and he would time the people, and they would uh, do all of these things, and so on and so forth. I tell you this: you, you got to be very careful about that, and you really have to discern the spirits, because I will tell you this: the devil can work miracles as well. Uh, he can heal this body. I and mean, he can do stuff with his body. I mean, You ever wonder why he was trying to, uh, uh, fight over Moses' body with the angel, uh, with the, the archangel, uh, Michael? Right. I mean, if it's just a body, it's a body. Why would, who would care? Unless he can take it and actually animate it. Mm-hmm. That should send shivers down your spine, but, <laughs> uh, we can't do that as human beings. But uh, he can. Uh, John chapter 16, and I kind of got off on a tangent there, but in verse 24, he says, Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. So here again, we see some qualifications about it. Now he starts saying, in my name. And I think this is one of the biggest issues that a lot of people have when they start praying is, can you really ask that in the name of Jesus? Is it something that can be asked specifically that would bring glory to him in his name? And if it's not, those are not things that are going to be answered. You do you realize what this world would be like if if God just was a god that didn't care and answered every single prayer the way that it was prayed? You realize what type of chaos and anarchy we would be in? I mean, you know, every whenever they do the lotto number draws, I mean every every what is it, every Wednesday or Sunday or something like that, whenever they draw it, uh It would be, there would be like, uh, uh it's, you know, it'd be 700 million winners. <laughs> because people would be praying, I want to win the lotto. Lord, let me win the lotto. But those things, again, are about heaping it onto our lusts, and they can't necessarily be prayed in the name of Jesus. And here's where we start getting into taking the name of the Lord in vain. We have to be very careful about those things that we pray and ask and make sure that we're asking correctly. The way that God desires us to. Take a look at 1 John. Take a look at the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> First John chapter 3 and in verse 22 it says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. And people just stop right there and they go, oh, amen, right? Why? Because they don't want to read the next part. (laughs) Because what does the next part say? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Oh. So we begin to see that there's a connection as James is pointing out about the things that we want, the things that we do, doing it our way, doing it uh outside of God's plan, outside of God's will, whatever it may be, uh but basically is not done in faith, it's not done in believing. Um it's not done uh in his name and it is certainly not done in obedience. So when we start realizing the importance of our Christian life and the connection with prayer, we begin to understand why James is starting to get to this point because he's saying to the nation of Israel, here's some of the reasons why you guys are going through the stuff that you went through and why you're going through the stuff that you're going to go through now and the stuff that you're actually going to go through in the future. Why? Because it was all about piling it upon them as I point out frequently, you remember what the Pharisees said about Jesus Christ, that they needed to, to silence him or they were going to lose their position and their country. They were more concerned about, if you will, their careers than the furtherance of any gospel that Jesus was preaching. There's the problem. And a lot of times people will pray, but they'll be praying as if they're praying to some other God that isn't our God, that isn't our Savior. And we we have to be very careful about that because he he gets really close. He starts you know getting to that point in in verse four here in just a minute when we start talking about adulterers and adulteresses. And we start seeing a problem. We start seeing this connection. But you know, you know, here, here's where we get down to it. Is you know, going back to the book of James in James chapter four, if it's a pleasing of ourselves and it's not a pleasing of God, then why would we? Why would God answer that? Why would we expect God to answer that? We have to ask ourselves a, a lot of serious questions, and do a lot of discernment and a lot of judgment. And and, and honestly, that's what's missing in a lot of Christians' lives today. Is this uh, it, it is discernment and judgment? They just you know they want this, they want that. They, they, I mean, it, it's just there's no discernment, there's no judgment. There's just uh, you know demand, if you will. And here, James is is being used of the Holy Spirit to point out, hey, here's a, here's a problem. The reason that when you ask and you don't receive is because you're asking, number one, with the wrong heart. Because all you want to do is just, as he says here, consume it upon your lusts. Now that word consume, let's think about that just for a moment. We live in a nation where that makes a lot of sense. You start talking about consumerism to some tribe somewhere, they don't have any idea what that even means. And I've heard stories of missionaries, you know, uh, going over there, uh, going to villages, um, seeing people get saved. And then, uh, you know, they're traveling back on furlough and maybe one of the natives that's, uh, working towards, uh, being a, a pastor in that field, uh, wants to come with the, 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 the missionary back to the United States and kind of see what it's like. And they bring them back to the United States and they're horrified. They walk into a store and they see that you can find, you, you can buy like, I don't know how many different kinds of milk. And they're like, I didn't even know that milk existed. I thought it was just cow. <laughs> you know, they, they don't even understand those concepts. They walk in there and they see, you know, that you get all these choices of uh, uh, various different things. You can choose all these different flavors of, uh, of uh, uh, or types of rice. And they're like, yeah, we only know one kind of rice. What are, you, what are you talking about? Well, you live in a world of consumerism. We live in a in 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 a in a world where it's like if you want it you can get it, and if you got a prime membership you can have it tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's kind of the mentality though that we live in. You know, we drive up to uh, McDonald's, we place our order for our chicken nuggets, and what happens? We expect to drive up, make the payment at the first window, drive to the second window, and be expected to bag a, you know, of hot chicken nuggets, don't we? Because if we don't get that within fifty seconds, we're sitting there going, "What's taking so long?" We live in that type of environment where it's serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. Serve me. And it's not, that's not a God that we have is a, he serves us type of God, where he's our vending machine, where he, he just gives us everything we wants and he spoils us. Well, he gives us great benefits, but we often don't give thanks for those benefits. We often don't realize the benefits of God in our life, the things that really truly matter. You know, we get upset over one thing on, you know, somebody messes up our paycheck or something happens and we're like, ah, oh, you know, freaking out about it and like it's the end of the world. No, the end of the world would be as if you were to stop beating. Your heart stopped beating. You were to stop breathing right there. But we don't take that into account. And 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 James is pointing out and saying, "Here's the reason why is because, well, you're praying to a different God. You're praying to a consumerism God that's just going to continue to feed your lust and what you want." Take a look over at the book of uh, Proverbs. Let's go to Proverbs 21. Let's take a look at a couple more verses here. Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21 and in verse uh, 7 here. Why does that not look like the right one? Ah, Let's try verse 17. There we go. Man, I went through my notes earlier today and I was like, man, I have like 17 typos in here. What's going on? And now I'm finding more. So uh, here's in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. God gets right to the point. Here's the reason why he's saying you people ask amiss is because they love the pleasure more. They love, if you will, the creation more than the creator. Yeah. They love, as he says here, this, uh, uh this wine and oil, uh, th- th- those individuals that are seeking that, he's saying in the end, they're not going to be rich. Because in the end, you can't take it with you. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bible clearly points that out. He says that, you know, it's clear that we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. That, that, that's how this operates. We're not taking anything with us. And he's saying that a person that, that, that's doing that is a person that is going to be a poor man. And if there is one thing that war does, is war makes certain people rich and it makes a lot of people poor. A lot of people poor. People lose their entire life in war. And I'm talking about their homes are bombed, their family is gone, uh, they don't own anything except for the clothes on their back, things of that nature, they're, they are poor. They flee and they don't even have a country to go back to anymore because they're refugee somewhere else. And generally what happens? They go to a place where clothes have been donated, And they're gently used clothes, but let's just understand, they go to a place where they're getting clothes that are not their own. They're somebody else's. And we start thinking about what war and what that causes and the casualties and and the repercussions of it. He's saying, here's the reason why. It's because this desire and this lust exists in us this, this, as he talks about this spirit that lusteth, we have to be careful. Take a look at another passage over there in the book of Romans. This time, Romans chapter, uh, chapter one, Romans chapter one, there's a lot of verses in Romans chapter one that really truly points out some of the issues Behind this concept of if you will worldlyism and carnal uh natures, but we get here to um, uh, um this uh this last verse in the chapter in verse thirty two talking about these individuals that he goes through and he starts mentioning what they are in you know verse twenty nine all the way through verse thirty one in verse thirty two he says who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Their pleasure is in all of these things that we see up at the the top: unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, malice, full of envy. That's an important one to understand because he addresses that one in James. Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, uh, affection, implacable, unmerciful. And he says, you know, we know what the judgment of God says. Judgment of God says that, you know, that, that that's worthy of death. Now, this is an important thing for us to understand. Anything in that list that God just mentioned, he says, is worthy of death, should be avoided by Christians at all cost. And there are several things in there that we found over there with uh, chapter 3, especially when he starts talking about uh, the things uh, that uh, uh, about debate and deceit and whispers, uh, malignity, uh, backbiters, those type of people. People that do those things with their mouth, those are sinful actions. God says that's the, that's the type of stuff that he says, the wages of sin is death. And if there is one thing that war does very well, is it brings death. It brings death. I almost had to, to just... And I almost died laughing because of the ridiculous nature of it. There was this debate at one point in time, and I forget what world leaders were talking about it, and they were talking about a more humane way to engage in warfare. Now, look, we've had all sorts of stuff like with the League of Nations, United Nations, Geneva Convention, and all that stuff, and still, you know what, people die in war. But they're talking about, well, we need to start, you know, getting to the point of technology where we're fighting wars with robots and we're using that to conquer and things like that. I'm like, you know, that's just not going to happen. Man's going to be man. You're going to have to kill a man to take that person's land. I don't care if a robot walks on there and says, this is now mine. Guess what's going to happen to that robot? He's going to get a hatchet to the head. I mean it's just it's just not gonna I mean that's just not gonna happen. You're going to fight humans. It's just I I thought it was ridiculous. I'm like honestly, we're having this conversation. The fact that we're having this conversation is laughable. But what we find here is we find that that God says this is what happens. This is all stuff that's death. It's connected to death. And people that that if you will, you know, hate and despise wisdom, love death. Is what the Bible says. And what does he say right here? He says, not only do they do those things, but they actually take pleasure in them. They take pleasure in them. Now, that's a sad thing to think about. You know, people may have an accident or something where they accidentally harm somebody or hurt somebody or accidentally take somebody's life. And it's a serious situation. And they're truly mournful. And, you know, they never intended to do that. It was an accident, something happened, whatever it may be, um, and and you know, no fault is found on them, uh, but you know, they still have to live with that and and it and it weighs heavily on them. But he's talking about people that enjoy murder, enjoy killing people, enjoy harming others. Enjoy being deceitful and liars. Enjoy, uh, if you will, uh, destroying individuals' reputations and things of that nature. He, he, he says this is stuff that they enjoy. It's pleasurable to them. Well, why is that? Because it's their lust. It's what they desire and what they want. And right in the middle of all of that, you see him mentioning Proud. Proud. And what pride does? And pride is the is a killer. Pride, pride is 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 a horrible, horrible sin. Because it is by pride that people will take another person's life. So we 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 think about this, and we see that that that, that God's making it pretty clear. That anybody that has these type of desires, this is kind of what along along the lines of what James is getting towards. This is the lust and the problems that are, you know, should not be part of the Christian life. And here again, remember, he's talking to believers here saying that the reason why your prayers aren't getting answered is because you want what you want and you'll do anything to get it. Up to and including, as he said in the previous verses, killing somebody for it. Let's turn over to the book of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter uh, chapter two. Second Peter chapter 2. two, Second Peter chapter two, and in verse thirteen, <clears throat> and, and, and again, you you kind of see this theme that I'm kind of focusing on is this idea of pleasure, because this is this is what. Really, truly, lust is about is about pleasing self. And he says in verse thirteen, "And ye shall receive the reward, uh, excuse me, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they count it pleasure to ride in the daytime." I mean, he makes it very, very, very clear here when he's talking about rioting in the daytime that these are individuals that they actually love that. They love that. Now, you know, recently we've we've gone through a whole thing, you know, a whole slew of problems in this country, and there's been a lot of discussion about things with the riots and so on and so forth. And people riot for various different reasons and so on and so forth, but one thing that you know about riots is they're generally not peaceful, as much as the media will try to tell you they are. A riot is a riot, a riot is where people break things, set things on fire, hurt other individuals, do damage, destroy. These are all things that we need to truly, honestly think about. And and, and he says, these guys, when he's talking about doing it in the daytime, this rioting, he's, he's talking about and referring to it as they're doing it openly out in the middle of the day. They don't care who sees it. They're just going to do it without fear of consequence, without fear of reprisal, without fear of judgment. That's a sad thing. One of the best things that I saw with one of the riots was there was a young man that was out there. I don't know if you saw this one. This one's a classic. There's a young man out there, and he was masked and had his hood up and stuff, and he was out there, and he was starting to riot. Next thing you know is you see this woman, she starts walking up and she's got the mom strut. And she walks up and she points out, you get finds her son out of a crowd of all these people, grabs a hold of him by the back of the neck and starts dragging him back home, ripping off his mask, ripping off that hoodie, and things like that. And here's here's mom, who you can tell she just got off a of work shift because she's wearing her work clothes, dragging that son back into the car. And I'm sitting there going, Praise God for a mom like that. but the rest of them didn't care. The rest of them didn't care. They took pleasure in it. They took pleasure in it. One last verse, take a look over at Hebrews chapter 11, talking about these things of pleasure, and and again, kind of pointing out an issue with with Moses and what Moses Moses chose. In Hebrews chapter 11, Verse 24, says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to full or come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You realize that Moses would have been one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt, like Joseph. His career path was set. He didn't have to do anything. He possibly could have even maybe been Pharaoh at one point. You know, and a lot of times some Christians will sit there and think, well, well maybe that's my opportunity is if I, if I do that, then, then, then maybe that's how God's gonna deliver, uh, the, the, the people. That's not how God chose to use Moses. He didn't choose to use Moses as a Pharaoh. He choo- chose to use him, if you will, as a shepherd to lead a bunch of people out. To pull them out of Egypt rather than to support their cause, relieve their burden, make it comfortable for the Jew to live in Egypt. It says here in verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And, and here's the issue that when we go back to the book of James, we start thinking about this consuming it upon our lusts is it is just for a brief moment. It's it, 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 it's not going to last. The things that we consume upon our own lusts are just, but for a moment. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. It may be pleasurable at the time. We may have a good time with it. You may uh, you know experience uh, you know things that that you you think are great, but the end result is is it creates a lot of problems afterwards. There's repercussions that sometimes you're never going to be able to get away from. There are consequences in, if you will, the reaping and the sowing that are physical things that may happen to our bodies. People that wind up getting thrown in prison. You know, they think it pleasurable for a moment to do something. Next thing you know is they're driving under the influence and they take somebody's life and they're in prison. Well, that's a sad thing. I mean, they weren't setting out to do it that day. They may have had pleasure in it for a moment, had a good time with friends, but the next thing you know is it's not, it's not that friendly in jail. You don't make lifelong friendships in, in, in prison that are good sometimes. I'm not saying that can't happen, but I, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Generally, that's not the population you want to hang around. Now, look—if if there's a bunch of, you know, prisoners that trust Christ as their Savior, and they—they're all trusting Christ as their Savior, and they get out of prison, and they all hang together, and they're edifying each other, and they're doing the right—the right things according to God, and they're keeping everybody accountable, and they're doing what's right. Praise God for that. We need a lot more of that in this environment. But that's generally not what happens. Because again, we go back to the people desiring what they desire. In, in, in here it is, going back over there into verse four, he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, now let's understand a couple of things. You know, over there in Mark chapter five, Jesus Christ said, to look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Right there, we already have a connection between lust and adultery in a physical sense. But if there is one thing that is very apparent, and especially when you look at the book of Proverbs and you begin reading the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has a dual tone to it. This is why he talks about those dark sayings. Not only is there some physical application that you can go, oh, hey, that's common sense. Well, we all know common sense is no longer common anymore, but we still get to understand the fact that, you know, hey, these are good some good applications for life about how we should live. But there's also a lot of spiritual undercurrent with that that that, that you can see, specifically when you start taking a look at the two different women, the wise and the fool. The, the, you, you take a look at the choices and the decisions, the contrasts, the comparisons, that he makes, all of these things you begin to see, a lot of it you will find that there is an undercurrent that is a spiritual nature of how to approach things where you can take a look at that forward woman and see a lot of it being things of the world, forms of humanism, forms of uh, false religions, all of those things, whereas you have the wisdom of God, which is the pure, true religion, as, if you will, James talks about the things that are of the Lord, the truth. So we see here, as we start looking at this concept of where he's calling them adulterers and adulteresses, this isn't because they were running around and having a bunch of affairs with everyone. He's calling them this because this is the way that God viewed the nation of Israel at the one time. Still kind of has that same viewpoint on them. Because of what they did. Let's take a look at a couple of the passages when we start thinking about this. Uh, um, Let's go over to the book of Jeremiah. Let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Just to to point this out, because a person can commit spiritual adultery by having another God other than God. we 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 when a person begins to look at something and go man I really want that well I don't think God's going to give me that or I you know maybe I'm going to pray in a way that I do get that and and if you will not praying praying to God the way that we're supposed to faith belief in his name and in obedience I tell you you know what's going to happen is we're going to start setting up if you will uh, a froward woman in our own life An evil man, as the Bible talks about. It's not just pick on one gender. But what we wind up seeing is we wind up seeing that there is a a, a sinful pattern that develops when a person chooses those things that are lustful and is an adulterous type pattern. So in Jeremiah chapter 3, take a look at what he says in verse 8, talking about the nation of Israel. And he says... And I saw, when for all the uh, the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and give her a bill of divorcement, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. He's talking about the two nations, nation of uh, or the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, when they were divided up. And he's saying, you know, obviously, the kingdom of Israel from the very inception just went off the rails real fast. Jeroboam made sure of that. But then Judah followed right afterwards. He calls her the treacherous sister, saying, playing the harlot. But what is he saying? He's saying they're being adulterous. Why? Because Judah and Israel, both those kingdoms, went and sought other gods and set up idolatry. And you begin to see God making a connection with, with lust and adultery and idolatry, all being things that clearly, if you will, demonstrate, sometimes in a physical sense, what God looks at spiritually. And how he says these are all things that Israel has done. They committed adultery with another God. They gave their heart to someone else. They lusted and went that direction instead. Instead of desiring what God wanted, they wanted what they wanted. That pleasure. Take a look at chapter 5 of the book of Jeremiah, chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 7, it says, How shall I pardon thee for this? The children have forsaken me and sworn by them that they are no gods. When I fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's houses. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about how God took care of them. And as God's taking care of them, what do they go do? They go have, if you will, that spiritual affair with someone else or something else. And God points that out as that was adulterous. Because if you remember in Exodus chapter 20, God made it pretty clear there is only one God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He said he's a jealous God. He doesn't want anyone else in your life or anything else in your life. Other than him being that preeminent, going back to the book of Colossians that we're studying. Take a look at another passage over in the book of Ezekiel. <clears throat> Go to Ezekiel chapter 16. And I just wanted to point these things out uh, just for the purpose of... uh oh, wrong direction here. Uh That, uh, um, you know, that we're not talking about a physical thing. We're talking about a spiritual thing that, that James is referring to here. In Ezekiel chapter 16 and in verse uh, 28, he says, thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians because at one point in time, that's what they did. Israel went to the Assyrians instead of going to God for help. They were in trouble and they said, Hey, we'll go to the Assyrians and the Assyrians will help us. Why didn't they go to God? Why didn't they go to God? He says, thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians, because thou wast unsatiable. Uh, oh. That right there just really could just point it out. They could not be satisfied. They could not be satisfied. So they went to someone else that they thought could satisfy them. That's spiritual adultery. You go to anyone else to, to, to receive satisfaction in this life, that's spiritual adultery in the eyes of God. He says, yea, thou hast played the harlot with them, and yet couldst not be satisfied. They thought they could, but guess what? They couldn't. They couldn't. It's like an addict looking for the next high. and that last high wasn't good enough so let's get another one let's get more powerful till they till they overdose till they destroy their health till they destroy their life till they destroy everything and here he says uh, uh um you know as you kind of go through the, the the rest of this this uh this passage I kind of want to jump down here uh um to to verse uh Oh, verse. let's just read verse 29. He says, Thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication in the land of Canaan unto Chaldea, and yet thou wast not satisfied herewith. The Syrians couldn't do it, so let's go to Canaan. They couldn't do it. Can, the Chaldeans couldn't do it. He says, now look at this, and here, here's, here's the issue. How weak is thine heart, saith the Lord God? Weak heart is a big problem. My dad recently had surgery because, uh, um, of some valve issues that were going on. And, uh, it, it, you know, as before the surgery, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And he, his heart was weak and he couldn't do the things that he used to. And, you know, just even moving just a little bit just wore him out. And this is what God's saying, what happens when people engage in sin seeing thou hast done all these things, the work of an imperious, whorish woman, and that thou buildest thine eminent place in the head of every way, and makest thine place in every street, again, being prideful about this whole thing, and hast not been as a harlot, in that thou uh, scornest higher, but as a wife that committeth adultery, which hath taken strangers instead of her husband. That's how God viewed Israel when they had an idol in place of God when they trusted in man in kingdoms in nations than the power of God so we go back over there to James and we see exactly what he's talking about when he says ye adulterers and adulteresses because he gets to the point of where he starts going through all of this and he starts pointing out that hey he, he here here's the situation He says, you're adulterers and adulteresses. Why? Because here he says, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. They're being adulterers and adulteresses because they're relying on the world. They're relying on worldly wisdom that we saw over there in in, in the previous chapter. They're relying on, if you will, the judgment of of individuals based on uh, bias and preferential treatment. All of these things that they think are somehow some way uh you know uh, going to bring them what they want, and all it does is it creates conflict it creates conflict and God points this out and says it says it says, it says here 's the issue is that you want the wrong kind of relationship with the world you want the wrong wrong kind of relationship with the world and and again just to to kind of really get an understanding of what we 're talking about here. You know, again, he, he he's talking about these lusts. And when you think about what lusts really truly are described as and, 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 and how God, you know, demonstrates and shows all those verses that we saw, it, it, it's to have, if you will, irregular or inordinate desires. And he's talking about having an irregular or inordinate desire to have a relationship with something that God says you shouldn't have a relationship with. You realize that that word friend, the etymology behind it is very, very peculiar. You start looking at it, and and I've got some things here that talk about the the etymology of the word friend. And it says, to uh, one attached to another by feelings of personal regard and preference. That friend is somebody that is preferred. If somebody has a friendship with the world, they're preferring the world over God. Furthermore, to kind of get into the definition of it, it says a definition of friend is one who is attached to another by affection. How are we affected? I understand there's a difference between affect and effect but affection is stuff that does have an impact and an influence in our life. And this is where that word friend begins to originate. Even at some point in time, the the, the pieces of the word of how it came together, actually in that, uh, the the way it was uh, created with some of the other languages, uh, there was the idea and the concept in the word friend of love. So we started thinking about what God's talking about with a friendship with the world. He's making it very clear that you're 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 essentially picking a fight with God. He's talking about wars and fightings among each other, but then also he kind of brings it right to this point of the reason why there's a fight and a conflict between us and God is because for some strange reason we decided to choose the world over God. And that created a problem. I want to take a look at two verses and we'll be done. I, we didn't get to chapter three as much as I thought we would. Or not, uh, to verse five of, ch- of chapter four. But go to, to, to two passages of scripture, uh, really quickly. And I know we're, we're running out of time. Go to Genesis chapter three. Let's go to Genesis chapter three first. And I want to point out that word enmity. Because that word enmity is, you know, you begin to realize the root of it and we're starting to talk about you know, the enemy of God. We're talking about somebody that is uh, um, filled themselves with these worldly lusts and worldly desires and proper relationships with the world. And, 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 and really, truly, God points out that creates a conflict and an enemy with God. And what you have a war with is you have a war between two enemies, two people that, that are at each other's throats. And here in uh, this passage, in Genesis chapter 3, you go down there to um, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Uh, Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust. Shalt thou eat all the days of thy life and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. He's talking about a fight and a conflict. And if you will, this is messianic in nature, talking about Jesus Christ. But do you notice what he said there? There's an enmity. And when we're talking about the serpent, and we're talking about mankind, there's always been a conflict and a fight between the devil and man. Because God God makes it clear, the devil does not like mankind. He would love to see every single last, you know, human being ever created burning in fire that's how depraved he is that's how deceitful and a lying murderer he is and let's let's be clear he does take pleasure in that yeah. he does take pleasure in it but there's always going to be that enmity that's what sin cost enmity And furthermore, we see over in Romans, in Romans chapter 8, let's turn there, Romans chapter 8, and verse 7, and we'll be done tonight. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Back up to verse 6, just for that context again. For to be carnally minded is death. That's that lust. That's that improper desire. That is that inordinate affection. But to be spiritually minded is life in peace. You want peace in your life? Change what you think. If you think too much about the physical, you're going to bring about a lot of problems. You change your mind to start thinking about things spiritual. You're going to have peace. A peace that passes all understanding. But in verse 7, he says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, and neither indeed can be. Rebellion. I will not submit. I want to do it my way. And that's where we start getting to the lust. And he says, You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss. Because you want to consume it, as he says, upon your lust. You want it your way. You want it the way you want it done. And that's what we all do. But God says, that's just going to create conflict. And then he starts getting into the rest of the verse as we get down. Submit to God. And as we get into the rest of these passages, we start seeing how war is avoided. And war is avoided through humility and humbleness. And we see that that is what exactly James is getting at, is one of the wisest things in the world to do. We'll pick up more next week, Lord willing, but we are Way past due. I apologize for that. But let's go ahead and end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us from your book. Thank you again for just teaching us tonight uh, very clearly about these things of conflict in our life and war and what it comes down to. I pray that uh, we would truly have an understanding, Lord, that would guide us and direct us to be humble, to realize that we need to seek your will and not our own, to pray, with faith belief and obedience uh to you lord not to bring it upon ourselves not to bring glory praise honor or anything else but lord to give you all that glory honor and praise pray you take us home safely tonight and bring us back again on sunday lord as we come to worship you pray lord you just continue to teach us edify us uh, correct us and uh, Just uh, give us things to meditate and grow on throughout the rest of this week from your word. This I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.